Hello and welcome to another episode of The Neutrinos Are Mutating, the science and film podcast from Manchester Metropolitan University investigating the science fact behind science fiction. I'm Sam Illingworth. And I'm James Redfern. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at the 2000 film Requiem for a Dream, directed by Darren Aronofsky and brought to us by Truth and Soul Pictures. <laughs> I got you a present. I, I, I don't need a present, just have a baby. Will you let me tell you what I got you? I mean, I mean, I know I can't change anything that's happened, but I want you to be happy. So I got your brand new TV set. It, it's going to be delivered in a couple of days. It's from Macy's. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to our very own Mrs. Sarah Goldfarb. Juice by Sarah, juice by Sarah, juice by Sarah. smashing dress you have on. Later on, we're going to be talking to Dr. Nicola Ray, a lecturer in psychology here at Manchester Metropolitan University. But James, can you just give us a quick synopsis of the film? Yes, so this um, is a fascinating film that follows... uh, Is it three or four characters? Four characters, yeah. yeah. Four characters um, through various different paths of addiction. Uh, Pretty much all surrounding drugs. Uh, there is a mother, she is one, uh, her son, her son's friend, and her son's girlfriend, and they are all. Uh, they all start the film with with sort of addictions. And it's a story that people hear, maybe not a lot, but it's something that people are probably familiar with. The idea that a drug user is is looking for drugs and gets worse and worse. Um, they're all kind of in that that world, but they just get it gets darker and darker and harder and harder for them. Um, it's a very a da- dark's the right word yeah, for this film, isn't yeah, it? it? And is. I think you know we're going to be talking. It, it deals very much with drug addiction, but it's addiction in general yeah. that it deals very well with. I think, yeah, and it, we're going to be talking to Nikki about that later. And you know, we're releasing this podcast in January. We've just had a time of indulgence over the Christmas the Christmas period. Yeah. So I know in my head, I constantly now throughout December um, just justify things because it's December. I just think, well, Christmas, you know, it's Christmas, it's fine. Uh, but it's a terrible way to think because, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, I, like I'm building it up in my head that it's fine. If I can eat all the cheeseburgers I want now because in January I will, I'll start afresh and everybody knows that never happens. You might go a week, you know, maybe two and then down to McDonald's it is. So it's, it's interesting because moderation would seem to be the key way forward, wouldn't it? But it's just very, very difficult, stroke boring to achieve. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, it's not easy. You can find out more as well as previous episodes at tnampodcast.com. We're joined now in the studio with Dr. Nicola Ray, lecturer in psychology at Manchester Metropolitan University. Hello, Nikki. Hi, Sam. So, Nikki, just first of all, psychology is obviously quite a large subject area. Mm-hmm. Um, what particular branch of psychology or which what area are you researching at the moment? Um, so, I'm what they call a biological psychologist, which is traditionally what we refer to as a neuroscientist. Okay. So I care much more about what the brain is doing than our behaviours. So you care more about the brain than people, is <laughs> yeah, what you're basically, basically. saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's quite interesting, because yeah. we've had little conversations so far about 
um, social sciences and pseudosciences and things like that on this podcast. And we've very yeah. much been about mainstream science. Yeah. And we've started. Do you call it psychology or pseudoscience? Well, Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Straight, straight in there, James. I think, I think some people do. Make our guests feel welcome. This, this sounds much more kind of uh, yeah. what, what I would consider. So, this, yeah. so what people have in the past called neuroscience. Yeah, we still call it neuroscience, but some universities call it biological psychology to their students. But I would describe myself really as a neuroscientist. Okay. So it's it's thinking about how the brain is set up from a neurological point of view then yeah. to yeah. behave to certain responses. Yeah. So the biological and the structural and anatomical differences between us that dictate our behaviour. Because, again, maybe I'm being... But I would... If it was me, I would, and so I was at a dinner party, what do you do? I'm, I'm a neuroscientist. <laughs> I'm a biological psychologist. It doesn't yeah. quite have the same <laughs> no, ring to it, does it? <laughs> I don't I even know. know that at all. Okay. Yeah, I know. I would prefer to say, I, would, I do say neuroscientist. Yeah, of course you say neuroscientist. <laughs> yeah. So, in, and in terms of, is it, uh, part of your research looks at addiction as well. Is that right? And how the... Yeah. Yeah. So I used to work in Toronto University. Uh, with people who have Parkinson's disease. Um, and I was interested in a particular group of people who'd taken their medications for Parkinson's disease, which is the dopamine replacement therapy. Um, and a proportion of people who take it start to develop uh, behavioural addictions, like pathological gambling. So that's how I got into the addiction field. Because wow. the whole thing is incredibly And that was statistically significant? Yeah, so they think about 13 to 20% of people with PD who take these particular types of medications end up developing behavioural addictions. Pathological gambling, hypersexuality, over-shopping, overeating. One woman couldn't stop knitting. So, wow. Yeah. That's... So how did they figure that? Did they just spot that then? Whoever, I assume, was monitoring this medication just yeah. spot that people had started to behave differently it took a really long time for them to recognize it so the drugs companies weren't warning anybody for ages and ages but did they know oh unlike, unlike, they, the, yeah. unlike the drugs companies too yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's a warning on there now on the on the on the box for not for what might happen but it took a long time for them to admit it and there's uh, a lot of uh, claims going through the courts in Canada right now because um, they didn't warn people early enough. So the they, the idea is that they knew about it much yeah. earlier than they said they and did. And is 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 it because dopamine is the the drug that's associated with reward? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're you're looking for a fix or something like that? As yeah, a... basically. So what we found in my research was that these people were already quite impulsive people anyway before they started okay. taking the medication. And it kind of tipped them over the edge. And the way the drugs work is they occupy receptors in the reward pathway tonically so that the reward pathway is being stimulated in a completely different way than it would be if they hadn't had the drug. That's wow. fascinating. That yeah. is How that quickly is did that happen? So, I mean, if they started taking the medication yesterday, would they become a, have this addictive personality straight away or would it take a bit of time or did that change depending it, on it who takes, it It takes a bit of time for an addiction to develop, but they will have noticed straight away that they felt a bit peppier kind of thing. All right. Yeah. Which I guess is something that they want to be feeling to yeah. an extent. Yeah. But, wow. And so I guess it's it's a an example of just how complicated the brain is and when you're introducing cocktails of drugs to yeah. that it's obviously going to have knock-on effects that yeah. people haven't maybe thought about exactly and that then aren't reported yeah and so is there an alternative to dopamine then that doesn't yeah. have these side effects so the the alternative is the original gold standard drug which is levodopa which is a dopamine mimetic so it just uh, mimics what what dopamine's doing in the brain 
but that's associated with more severe dyskinesias, motor symptoms, a bit later down the line. So it's a bit of a shame for people who develop the gambling addictions to not be able to use these agonists because they're not associated so much with the motor dyskinesias later on. So if, if they'd started with the, um, the newer drug that was causing these other behavioural changes, mm. I assume they were taken off those drugs and put on what you described then as the gold standard drug. Yeah, yeah. Do those behaviours disappear then? Or are they, yeah. do they, are they with them? Yeah. Or is it just a sign of the drug? No, they, as soon as they come off the drug, that's, they're, they're suddenly able to uh, control their urges again. Oh, that's incredible. That yeah. is incredible. I know. I and know. But it's people that are maybe more susceptible in the first instance yes. that are more likely to do that. Yeah. So the people that may be impulsive, people that already have an addictive personality. Addi- yeah, exactly. And I hear that quite a lot, addictive personality. Yeah. What? Because when I first heard addictive personality, I was like, that's a good thing because it makes me want, it's like that person's so amazing yeah. that I'm addicted to spending time with them. <laughs> but that's not what it means at all, is it? Right, no, that's not quite what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so it means that that person's got a personality that makes them susceptible yeah. to addiction. Yeah, exactly. And is, is that a medical thing? or? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to define biologically, but what the research I did was in brain scans to look at the function of the dopamine system. Um, and so we found that there were different a different uh, density of certain receptors in the reward pathways in the people who were impulsive. So they weren't on the medication whilst we were doing the experiment, but they still had these differences in the reward okay. pathways. And you would describe those those differences as indicative of a impulsive personality or a, an addictive so personality. Could you scan someone's brain and give an indication of whether or not they were likely to have an addictive personality? Is it at that level of... No, we don't quite know what normal and abnormal mm, is, yeah. but you would definitely be able to say that somebody who's at the top of the scale might be more susceptible to those behaviours. And yeah. again, is it a case of not quite sure whether or not those biological pathways have been created as a result of nature or nurture? Mm. And how so how that person's come to have yeah. that? Is that the case? Yeah, definitely. So we know that um, addictive personalities or addictions run in families. So that might be a an innate thing so you have a certain amount of receptors based on what your family and genetics is Um, but also as you engage in these activities you change the number of receptors in the regions so that you kind of make yourself more susceptible so when we when we say that people do have an addictive personality and you know people that have alcohol addictions or drug addictions or sex addictions some people just are biologically more susceptible to that and that that is a thing that that can easily happen yeah because and Thinking about, you know, when you think about people that you know that maybe have addiction problems, mm. if you think about their wider family, actually, there does seem to be quite a lot of correlation yeah. there. And yeah. whether or not it's been passed on genetically or that's the environment that is created to yeah. have that as well. I mean, it's the age old answer there. It's a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess in terms of the film Requiem for a Dream, then, this is, you know, the addictions they're talking about mainly are drugs. Yeah. But there'd be an argument to be made that the people that were taking these drugs, whether they're legal or illegal, mm. potentially had addictive personalities mm. in the first instance that mm. made them more susceptible to taking that. Yeah, I mean, possibly, especially since there's a mother-son relationship in there and they both end up with severe addictions. And even at the beginning, so they don't really make much of this, but she seems to have a bit of an addiction for food. So mm. she's yeah. she's she can't she can't resist almost. So she probably has already an impulsive addictive kind of personality that she might have passed down to Jared Leto. <laughs> and, yeah. and do you do you think that the the film in general does a, a good job of portraying addiction? Not not necessarily like drug culture, but just addiction in purpose, like how that the, the behaviours are and 
Yeah, I think it does a really good job. So you don't meet these people before they've started taking drugs. You meet them when they're already quite far down the line. But it does kind of show how... So they're not very seriously addicted at the beginning. And mm. you can imagine them being able to turn away mm. from what they're doing. And there are a couple of windows of opportunity that they miss. Um, but yeah, it shows it's a very slow, steady decline into something that you ought, you suddenly can't turn your back on. And in, in, exactly because of that, do you think the stages of addiction are, are quite clearly marked in the film? This idea of there's windows of opportunities, there's chances where if there'd been an intervention or they'd been on a programme, there would have been a chance to get out. Yeah, yeah. There's, there are a couple of points, a couple of scenes where you think, oh, this has gone too far now. Like when she wakes up in the middle of the night, when Jennifer Colony wakes up in the middle of the night and suggests they start doing drugs then and he suggests that they don't mm. but they can't stop themselves it's at that point you kind of think okay now they can't now they don't know what they're doing now they've lost control of it whereas before there's even a suggestion that they stop doing it and they kind of and they do for a little while they mm. pull away from it for a bit um but yeah at, at that point that's it then they've gone and everything starts to go terribly wrong because i mean the film does end incredibly dramatically mm. and you know people might say well yeah but no one's going to have that bad an experience with drugs. But I actually think what the film does a good job of is really building it so yeah. that it does become believable that I'm sure we've all known people that are on the cusp at that starting point. Mm. And I think that it's very believable actually how they end up, even though they're horrific examples. Drug yeah. addiction is horrific. Yeah. So yeah. do you think that even though there may be quite extreme cases, they're not, it's not Hollywooding it, so no. to speak. It is, it is quite realistic. No, it completely is realistic. And you even can think of situations where it's worse than that. So you could, with the mum and with Jennifer Connolly, um, they're almost not at the end of their, their journey, so they're going to mm. keep going. Both of them at the end have a little smile on their face because they're kind of still in the middle of it, whereas the two guys are probably yeah, at rock at bottom. And I think what really interests me is with, with addiction, that as soon as you hear addiction, you think, you think of drugs, don't you? Yeah. But... You know, I know you've done a lot of work with gambling addiction as well, and there's an argument to be made that there's many other forms of addiction mm. rather than drugs mm. or hardcore drugs that are just as damaging. Yeah, definitely. You know, like, be that alcohol, be that work addiction, yeah. be that sex addiction, yeah. be that gambling addiction. And do you think that some of those maybe get underreported or under-focused yeah. on? Because yeah. when you hear addiction, you think heroin, don't you, really? You do, yeah, you do. You do. But I think it's there's a, a growing realisation that there are these other stimuli in the environment that we all engage with, and it can be a problem for some people. So I know right now that there's a huge concern about young boys looking at too much pornography. Yeah, mm. I, I heard that on the news. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they're, um, they're watching so much pornography that it's interrupting their daily life, so it's starting to change their behaviour and they're engaging in that much more than they're engaging in anything else. And, you know, it makes it really difficult for them to form relationships later Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And gaming addiction is a big problem, especially yeah. in, in South Southeast Asia yeah. as well. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think if, if we all think about certain things that we do, you know, I have definitely have a coffee addiction. Yeah, you me know, too. Like, as in, <laughs> as in like, we, but it's, we, do, we joke about it. Yeah. But, you know... I'm sure all of us get a bit grumpy or yeah. can't function. Feel as though we can't function without coffee. Yeah. That's not too far removed from people that are addicted to hardcore drugs yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah. that. Well, that. I think biologically, it probably goes along those same lines. It doesn't does, it? and this, that's the thing. It's just these reward centres being lit up, whether it's from a stimuli like food or mm. shopping or knitting or whatever. It's the same process. It's the reward pathways being kind of hijacked 
by a stimuli. And do, do you think we're kind of set up for that? Because from my own personal experience, I find abstinence much easier than moderation. Mm. So I would find it, I just said, okay, right, I'm not going to drink any coffee for like Lent or whatever. Mm. In my brain, I can deal with that much more than mm. I'll just have a normal amount. Is mm. that is that again a common thing? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what most drug treatment programs would advise is complete abstinence, especially if it's a hardcore drug that you have to obtain illegally. The problem with complete abstinence is that um, you can take yourself away from the drug itself, but you can't take away take yourself away from the cues in the environment. So for coffee, it might be Mm. your coffee machine is still there in your kitchen Mm. looking at you. So it makes it difficult for you (laughs) to resist. (laughs) Difficult for you to resist. But um, with a person who's got an addiction, that is their life and it's their friends. And, you know, everything that they engage with Mm. has these little cues that make it really difficult for you to walk away. And it just depends on what kind of a personality you have. You might be able to resist, whereas somebody who Mm. has this high addictive personality might not be able to absolutely and do you think i mean can you ever be cured from addiction or is it really more of a management i think it depends on the person themselves so some people say that they can't for example smokers some people can turn into social smokers and not just have a cigarette when they go out for a drink in a way that's still an addiction because it's almost like they associate the drinking with the smoking and it induces the craving and they can't say no while they're drinking but the next day they're able to leave the cigarettes alone again Mm. so i think it's really different what about in that movie where um so they give the mother electric shock therapy yeah which seems crazy yeah I mean, so were they genuine attempts at, at curing people for addictions? I don't think that they were trying to cure the addiction. I think they were trying the to cure the psychosis. Yeah, yeah, which seems like a terrible idea. So again, it's, idea. it's treating yeah. the, the, the cause rather, like, well, treating yeah. the symptom rather than the cause, yeah. which seems very strange. So part of the film was her mistreatment by the healthcare mm. system because nobody seemed to really care what they were doing to her and the fact that she was being prescribed these incredibly dangerous drugs and then being treated like she was in hospital, kind of like an was, animal. Was there um, an avoidance of thinking about it back then? I mean, like, were people in the old days of the 80s or whatever yeah. it was, you know, addictions probably not seen as socially acceptable as they are now, people not talking about yeah. them as much and kind of just pushing people aside, I think. You know, if, yeah. if, if you can do that to somebody and just stick them in a bed, yeah. it was probably the the way that they they behaved the healthcare system yeah and they all were treated pretty badly weren't they because of their addiction at the end when they're in Mm. prison they're obviously not not um favored very well by the prison guards um purely because people back then thought it was a dirty thing or the dirty word to be addicted but Mm. now people recognize it a bit more like a disease that's people have fallen into through no fault of their own really and i think something that really struck home with me with the film is the importance of support networks in getting through those addictions as well because mm. again i'm sure we all know people that have started to go down that route or been on that route and one of the things that really help is to having the support of family and friends that yeah. aren't also in that environment whereas for them the only support that they've got really is each other yeah and they're all going down that yeah. route as well so it seems like a very very dangerous spiral for them to yeah. go on yeah and the mum has nobody to rely yeah, on apart from her, nobody. you know her friends who wouldn't have recognized what was happening at all because they wouldn't have been aware oh, of you're the looking issues. really slim yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, quite yeah. interesting because at the end you see they go and visit the yeah. mum don't they and they're very sad yeah and it's like oh you forget actually that they were even there by yeah. that Absol- point because you, they, she, they've been absent in her life yeah until that and then they obviously think oh yeah 
well, the only person who recognises that she's got a problem is her son. And yeah. he's not in any way, has any capacity to help her. So, mm. yeah. So quite a sad film, really. But, yeah, I mean, really addiction sad. is a sad topic, isn't it? Yeah, but, it but is. You, but the way they dealt with it, it was like scientifically quite yes, accurate. Yes, I thought it was, yeah. And sensitive as well, do you think, to the topic? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think it was really sympathetic to its characters. You didn't end up hating any of the characters yeah. and, you know, they all ended up... It's quite easy, I think, to to, to go down that road as well in yeah. the story that the drug addicts are, are you know, bad I just people. think you felt yeah. so sorry for them more yeah. than anything. Like, yeah. really, really sorry for yeah, them. Yeah, definitely. It's just a completely depressing... Yeah, it's not. It's not the most uplifting film. It's not a light watch at all, is no, it? It's, it's very opening of your It's a very eyes important and, you know, watch. Yeah, I think. It's, it's it a good, is. It's a good thing to talk about. It's probably helped a lot of people realise what the process is and what the path is mm. for for people who end up, you know, in that horrible state at the end. They, they you know, they don't all start off there. They start mm. off as people you know and people you've been friends with. Absolutely. Right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Nikki. You're very welcome. This podcast is supported by Digital Innovation and the Faculty of Science and Engineering at Manchester Metropolitan University. So that was very interesting speaking to Nikki there. And I think, as we touched on, it is a very dark film. Yeah, it is. Um, Mainly because I think it does, as we touched on there, it hits on elements that we recognise in people we know and maybe in us ourselves you know we we're joking there about being addicted to coffee but it's a real addi- <laughs> a real addiction yeah it is and i was thinking just this morning i walked into um, a coffee shop and bought a coffee and i was as i walked out i thought how much money do i spend in this shop I, don't, you know, don't think about it it's, it's, just, it's, it's a holiday it's a holiday a year yeah, it's a holiday a year <laughs> and i still i don't stop doing it you know what i mean I, I still go in there pretty much every day it's yeah no it's it's not great and i think it, what is really important is that addiction is talked about Mm -hmm. and that it isn't seen as this dirty thing and it's just this thing that can that can affect anybody yeah i think that we we have a much more um open approach now to problems of mental health and and those kinds of things that were previously unspoken about i mean everybody has always known that they exist but for some unknown reason um it's been shunned as a topic that was never really discussed but no it's a great it, it is I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to call a film like this great when it's actually really dark and, and quite scary in a way. But it's very good in that it, it opens those conversations up. It's almost, I, yeah. I mean, I keep saying it, but it's the storyline of the mother that opened my eyes to, to you know, we're aware of hardcore drug addiction. I think this idea, yeah. it, it just, yeah, it surprised me. I think as well this film would be a interesting and maybe powerful film to show to younger people rather than like your traditional drugs are bad. Oh yeah, definitely. You. Because yeah. I don't think it is patronising. I think it's very real, especially mm-hmm. with the mother. And you can see the stages, as Nick was pointing out, and that that's a very logical process. Yeah, it's interesting because I was also reading about this movie as part of um, the way it was made and the, the kind of decisions that the, the director and the producers came up with. And I'm not entirely sure how... how exactly true this is but the scenes of the movie get progressively shorter as the movie goes on so it becomes more rapid and more intense mm. as their addictions become more intense as well Do you know what I mean? so like actually just watching it as a as an experience you you start to feel those kinds of heightened anxiety watching these scenes and then obviously at the end you get those kind of like really rapid shots of between all the different characters um 
and yeah, no, it does. It's a very good way of of sharing those emotions with us. So, good film, bad film, good science, bad science. Yeah, great film. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, and as I, I say, I think we both agree that it's a film that people should watch, particularly young people, maybe. Um, but just starting a conversation. So yeah, definitely a good film. And I mean, Nikki, Nikki said it at the end there. It's it's spot on, as far as she's concerned in terms of showing addiction, showing the pathways of addiction and the kind of social stigma and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, no, I think... I, I feel as though we haven't done a really great film for a while. No, and I know, this, yeah. this is, this well, is. Every, And every time we do one, we, we always say, oh, normally we do, like, they're all like, always rubbish. Because um, there's lots to talk about in a rubbish film, so it's actually really nice to see a film that there is a lot to also talk about here. And it's, you know, maybe not an easy watch, but it is an important watch. Yeah, well, actually, as well. Um, my flatmate refused to watch it, so I started watching it, and he's seen it before, and he was like, oh... Why are you watching this film? It's really sad. And he actually left. He left the room. He wouldn't watch the end of it. Um, so, yeah, no, you know, it does get to people. It definitely does. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening. I've been Sam Illingworth. And I'm James Redfern. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye.